I was in the back and I was talking to Matt Markstone. And, and I said to Matt, I said, I got up on, on the, my bed this morning and I can't turn my head this way because my neck, I woke up with that crank in my neck. And Matt, he's about 10 years younger than me, and Matt says, man, I, that hasn't happened to me yet and I just don't want that to start happening. He goes, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> and I'm like going, you just called me old. That's what you did. <laughs> my back hurts, my neck hurts. It's just all crazy and terrible. Ah. Oh. Um, 2 p.m. next Sunday, uh, if you consider Element in your home, we're having a church meeting. And what that meeting is about is uh, we bought that field out there. Well, actually, the bank bought it. <laughs> and we're figuring out ways to you know, pay off this loan and do those things. And so uh, we're getting together and telling you what our ideas kind of are. And so we want to invite everybody to that because you know, in order to, to pull together and, and because you know, our lease here is only three more years, and so we've got to figure out what we're doing after that. It's going to take all of us working together, and so we'd like to invite you to come to that 2 p.m. meeting. You can go get lunch and come back, and you know, we can talk about that. So 2 p.m. next Sunday afternoon. Uh, also, uh, Element U, this is the fourth week coming this week, and we're doing all about apologetics. And this week is about scripture and uh, archaeology behind that and how we can trust the Bible that we have. Uh, I'm teaching this week, and so if you are coming, be here at 6.30, be on time, because i got a lot of stuff to get through, and I'm going to be start, starting like right on time. I know that is so foreign to Element. <laughs> if that thing hits 6.30, I'm talking and I'm going. All right, so if you're coming, do that. Uh, also, if you go online, you can print the notes for this week as well and bring them with you because there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to talk about that'll be extra stuff in the notes. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, if you happen to leave yours out in the, in the rain a couple weeks ago and it got destroyed, take one home. You can have one. It's, it's, they're great. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you download an app. It's called Uversion. If you click on Live and Uversion, it'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes and verses all that go along with today's message. If you don't have a smartphone, we have analog copies on all the communion tables throughout the room, and you can grab one of those and, yeah, and take it home with you as well. Uh, and, uh, and again, as I always say, the, the notes inside of these are a little different than some of the things I talk about because they're extraneous notes, extra things that I had that didn't really go into the message, but they don't detract from it. They actually, I think, kind of help it in the end. All right, why don't you stand there? You're reading God's Word. We will get started. This is Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. It says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who understand our condition before you. And that we would also understand the great mercy and grace that you have bestowed upon us. Especially as we walk through all these concepts throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That you have been the one who has given us your kingdom. And we as a people simply live in mercy and grace because of that. We thank you for saving us and redeeming us. And we ask that we would live redeemed lives. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so this is the Sermon on the Mount, week 9. Uh, I, I promise in a few weeks we're going to start at a brisker pace than this, but we've got to take you know these first 12 verses of these Beatitudes and go really slow with them because they set up the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. They set up really all, almost all of Jesus' teachings. And so there's a lot of things that are rich in meaning in this. We come from a westernized culture, so we don't understand all the background, so that's why we spend a lot of time getting the background in there for you. Today we come to Matthew 5.8. This, this comes 
after. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, those who recognize their condition, uh, those who mourn because we realize our condition and what it is and what we, how we sinned against others and sinned against God. Uh, we become meek and humble because we realize what God did to save us. And then we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then we are people who begin to live in mercy. And you get to Matthew 5, 8 today. And Jesus continues on and says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, some people, this is their favorite beatitude. They love this. Uh, you might love it this morning because this will be my shortest message in the entire Beatitude series. So you may be like, yay. <laughs> Again, you shouldn't clap for that. That's just horrible. Uh, there's a lot of people who make personal piety their goal. So they make this as their favorite. And I really have no idea why. Because it seems like people who think personal piety is enough to make them pure before God are deluding themselves. Do only the pure in heart see God. You got to think you're pretty good to make this one your favorite one if that's how you read the Beatitudes. Psalm 24 verse Verses 3 through 5 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now see, that's pretty scary stuff for me, because I know many times my heart is anything but pure. People used to love stories about purity of heart and people like that. Anybody ever hear King Arthur? Okay, great, half of you guys, okay? And anyways, the round table wasn't like a pizza joint. It was actually like a round table, and all the knights would sit around it because it showed they were all on equal footing. There wasn't like a head of the table, and they were all on equal footing in that. One of the guys sitting around that round table was a guy named Sir Galahad. There's all kinds of things that surround Sir Galahad's legend, but one of them is that he was called the pure-hearted. He was raised by nuns. He was the most pious of all of the knights around King Arthur's table. Uh, when King Arthur sends all of his knights out to go find the Holy Grail, Sir Galahad is the only one who ever got to see it because he didn't have any sin in his life. Sir Galahad had a shield that nobody else could use because anybody else who tried would be mortally wounded. Only someone who was as worthy as Sir Galahad could use that shield. And again, at the end of his life, he is visited by God. He is shown the Holy Grail and taken up into heaven by angels, the pure in heart. I mean, is that what it is so high above everything else? Because if that's what it is, we're all screwed. Okay? We are. We're just, we're just done for. Again, Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to a wide swath of people. He's talking to the religious and the non-religious. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles, those who think they are so smart, and those who don't even know what smarts are. He's talking to all of these people. And if he says these, by the way, most people understand it, uh, that you're pure in heart, for you shall see God, that's got a kneecapped everybody it's like a spiritual curbing for everyone you got to be pure in heart i mean if we are honest at all everyone knows we're not pure in heart the pure in heart see god i have a desire to see god to know him to see him work in my life to serve jesus in all things but the thing that always seems to get in my way is my heart my heart seems to always want to love things that it should not love well i never get to see god well i never get to see him work in my life or one day see him face to face Go all the way back to this guy named Moses, who is venerated by many different religious traditions. And Moses is leader of the Jewish people. He leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery, takes them to the desert, across the Red Sea. He's on Mount Sinai when God gives the Ten Commandments. And he says to God on Mount Sinai, I want to see your face. And God says, no, no. You can't see my face. He goes, but tell you what, you hide in that rock over there, I'll cover you with my hand. I will pass by and you can see where I just was. 
It's essentially what it says. Uh, Exodus 33, 21 to 23. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you, will see, and you shall see my back. And my face but must not be seen. That is a Jewish euphemism for you can see the place where I just was. And so Moses, you know, the guy is like venerated by all these different religious traditions. He doesn't even get to see God in that way. And so what hope do we even have? Because I think the desire to see God runs deep in us and in a lot of people. Now, I've told you that anytime you look at our lives and what they're supposed to become, you've got to take a sober assessment of our hearts. Uh, if you looked at the scriptures and you took the word, the heart, and you circled all of its derivatives, you would circle over 900 different words throughout the scriptures. Now, this idea, 900 times something's in the scriptures, that means it's important when something's 900 times in the Bible. It's like when someone says to you, don't give out your PIN number to your bank account to strangers. It's important. You go to another country and someone says, don't drink the water. It's important. I had some friends. Last week, they were down to Mexico. They drank the water. Everybody said, don't drink. Now it's coming out of both ends. I mean, don't drink the water. I mean, you gotta, you got to listen to these things. Scripture, it works in layers. It works in layers and shows us the truth. It's like when you look at God. God is like spirit. He's like the wind. He's like a fire. He's like a rock, a gentle whisper, a king, a warrior, a priest, a shepherd. The Bible, what it does is it layers poetic concepts on top of each other so we understand better who God is. If I am feeling lost, God is like a shepherd. He's come to find me. If I am in rebellion, well, God's like a judge and a king. If I am hurt, God is like a father, and he has come to bring me home. You look at the heart, and the heart does this as well. It's a poetic way of saying who we are in all of us. It's not an organ that pumps your blood. It is your center, like the heart of the matter, the root of a thing. It's not just mind, body, and soul. It's all these things together. And so Jesus sets this up. Only the pure in heart will see him. If that's the case, does anybody ever get to see God? And then you've got to ask, does that sound like the Jesus we know? No, thank you. One person. Thank you. Now, when you've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, what you see is this is about opening up the kingdom of God. It's not about shutting the doors of the kingdom of God. And there are two ways people typically look at the Beatitudes. One, it's an announcement. It's describing the kingdom of God. It's not a list of, oh, you know, you do these things and then you get blessed. It's an announcement about the way the world really is. The other hand of this looks at them and they say, these are a list of things to go out and do. Is it one or the other? I kind of think it's both. I think it's both these things coming together. It's an announcement about reality and an invitation in our lives to change, to be the people who God calls us to be. It's both describing the kingdom of God and what our lives actually could look like lived in that kingdom. It's why Jesus constantly says things like Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This beatitude sits square in the middle of all of these beatitudes. It's about announcement and it's about calling. Again, it starts with Poor in spirit. Recognize your condition. And then you mourn. You mourn over that condition. Then it moves to the place of meekness and humbleness because we realize what God has done to save his people. Then we begin to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. We become a merciful people. And then the pure in heart, they see God. And when Jesus says that, he just kind of leaves it hanging out there. You look throughout the rest of the New Testament, and there's not really five parables about the pure in heart. There's no story about the guy who was robbed by horrible people, left on the side of the road, and the pure in heart Samaritan went and helped him. There's nothing really like that so what do we do with it well open your bibles to mark chapter 7 verse 18 what jesus does do in his teaching is he talks a lot about clean and unclean and pure and impure and so we can see what the opposite of a pure heart is 
In Mark 7, 18, in this passage, they're having a discussion about what is clean and what it isn't in regards to dietary laws. And Jesus is taking on these dietary laws to show them what their hearts look like. And so he's pushing a lot of buttons. There's a whole lot of boundaries being pushed here. So it says, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? And in the Greek, this means, are you so dull? It's like, do you not get it? The best way I thought I could reference this is like this old Far Side cartoon. This is dull, okay? School for the gifted, but he's just not that bright. He's not firing on all the stone. That's dull. That's what he's saying. You know, you know the things you're supposed to know, but it's not working its way through. Okay, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Again, talking about food, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And expelled is, is poop. It says, thus he declared all foods clean. Now, this time, there are all sorts of debates on what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and how the meal was prepared and how you're supposed to eat it, the type of dishes you could serve it on, how you would have cleaned those dishes that the food was served on. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you eat kosher or not. It still all comes out your pooper. The, the word expelled, it's a crude slang term of the day for your pooper. Now, a lot of translations don't put that in there, but that's what Jesus uses because he's trying to make a point. And now he starts to switch gears. It says, and he said, it's what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So it's not that food coming out your pooper. It's what comes out of your heart. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. He's all referring to the human heart. It's not about these external things, other than the external things that you look at and those things enter your heart and then come back out. It's not about the food. Open to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. This is part of what we call the seven woes. The seven woes were challenges to religious leaders of the day who missed the point of the scriptures. In Matthew 23, 25, Jesus starts off using this word hypocrites. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, today, if I called you a hypocrite, you may be mildly offended at me. You'll be like, oh, I can't believe he called me a hypocrite. When Jesus used this word, it would have been a brand new way. People may not even have known what he was saying. It was Jesus who critiqued religious hypocrisy in a way that has really shaped history. The way you, we use the word hypocrite today comes about because of Jesus, and most people don't even realize that. See, in Jesus' day, there'd be a stage, and there'd be actors that would go on a stage, and they'd wear these big masks. Like, you ever see, like, V for Vendetta? And they had that, you know, the mask that... That's, that's the idea. You'd wear this mask, and you'd play a part. And so the mask wasn't you. You were playing this part on a stage. And they would call these actors on a stage with these masks hypocrites. And so Jesus starts to use this to talk about religious hypocrisy. Secular scholar Eva Cate says this, It's the New Testament's usage that most shapes our thinking about hypocrisy because of the unique emphasis on the condition of the inner person as opposed to mere outer behavior. The word hypocrite is used 17 times in the New Testament. Every single time it is used by Jesus. So he says, woe to you, you bunch of actors. He says, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate. Again, purity laws, what's pure, what's impure. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, then the outside also may be clean. So you got it all upside down. There's all these Levitical laws that you're looking at and you think it's about all these things. It's about the human heart. It's about clean versus unclean, pure versus impure, light versus darkness, death versus life. And he says, you're missing the entire point of all of it. It's all upside down. The cup is a symbol for your heart. Do you not understand that? Your heart's the problem. 
Augustine gave a sermon about the purity of our hearts, and he says it's not about purity versus impurity. He says it's about purity versus hypocrisy. He says, only he who has shrugged off human praise and in his life is concerned just to please God, who searches our conscience, has a simple, that is pure, heart. St. Francis, not like the new pope, but the guy he's named for, said this, who you are before God is who you really are. Wonderful words. What matters is what goes on on the inside because that's what's going to come back out of you. Open to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus gives another story about prayer and the difference in the attitude of our hearts. Luke 18, starting in verse 10. See, I'm kind. I'm waiting. I hear it flipping. This is good. Luke 18, verse 10. Jesus says, two men went up to the, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I know it sounds like a two guys went into a bar joke, but it's not, okay? The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, the tax collector is right there, okay? He's like, God, thank you I'm not like this guy. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, like if I walked into this room and I said, God, thank you I'm not like that evil wretch of a man, Trevor Carpenter. You know, it's funny if you're not Trevor Carpenter. Right? It's like, that's, that really stinks. But the thing is, we all do this. We all do this. We're like, you know, thank you, God, I'm not like my neighbor who drinks too much and never mows his lawn. Thank you, God, I'm not like that guy who leaves all the cars all over his yard and never cleans anything up. God, thank you, I'm not like that family who has 20 people in that house. You know, God, thank you, I'm not like my crazy neighbors on the other side of the street who are always fighting outside. Thank you, I'm not like that, that parent who never takes care of their kids. God, thank you, I'm not like that country music fan. You know, all it is is a way to place ourselves above other people. We do this all the time. God, thank you I'm not like those stupid Democrats. Think I'm not like those heartless Republicans. Think I'm not like those crazy environmentalists. Think I'm not like those warmongering Russians. I mean, we're, we, we have all these labels we throw around. That's the Pharisee. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This guy, poor in spirit, he recognizes his condition. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This guy says, God, I know that I just need your mercy. And Jesus says, that's the kind of heart I'm looking for. That's the kind of heart. It's not some external purity code. It's one that knows its condition and what we're like on the inside. And we say, God, have mercy on me. This is why the Beatitudes go the way that they do. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek and humble, hungry and thirsting after righteousness, merciful, and get to the place of pure in heart. A lot of this comes down to an idea of a divided life. In Augustine's book, Confessions, it's written from Augustine to God. And it's his confessions of his heart, but also shows his conversion to Christianity. If you go to some seminary classes today, what they will do is they will give you this book by Augustine. They will have you read that book by him, and then you're supposed to bring criticisms about the book, the style, and Augustine himself. Your job is to take Augustine, who is burying his soul before God, and you are to critique it. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is talking about in Pure in Heart. I mean, we sometimes do this, and we think we're so smart. It's all external. It's not internal. Jesus calls that hypocrisy. When we think we know how to appear before people like we're good and right, but we know deep inside we're nothing good or right. Jesus wants to get down to what's actually going on inside of us. And the amazing thing that he talks about is this idea that when you realize you're a hypocrite, it is then you actually meet God. 
It's then when you understand poor in spirit, our condition. This is the idea that God meets people in their brokenness. This is why prideful, self-sufficient people always look at Christianity and they're like, the dumbest thing in the world. Christianity is a crutch. And again, those are people that don't understand Christianity. It's not a crutch. I mean, it is, it's the hammock. It's the wheelchair. We're just, we lay in it. We're not hanging on to it like it's holding us up. He just got his hands around us. That, that's Christianity. And prideful, self-righteous people will never understand that because it's not about putting on a religious show. See, the word pure, it's this word called katharos. And it has the connotation of pure, but it means you're purified by something. By something. It's uh, like by fire. Proverbs 17.3 says the crucible is for silver. So that's where silver is tested. The furnace is for gold. That's hotter. And that's where gold is tested. And the Lord tests the heart. It's like these two things are hot, but God's fire burns so much hotter. And it is what purifies our hearts. It also has this idea of purification like a vine. Like, you're, like you've got a, a vine and it's got grapes on it, but there's so many extraneous things growing off it that the grapes can't get enough nourishment. So a good pruner will come through and will take away all the things that are just stealing the nourishment away and make that vine just what it needs to be, clean so that the grapes can get what they need on the end, all the nourishment that they need. That's the idea behind it. You're purifying that vine. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What it really comes down to is this this idea of single-mindedness of heart. Single-minded. Everything is stripped away. We are free from the tyranny of a divided self. A person who is single-minded in the commitment to the kingdom of God and his righteousness will also be inwardly pure because they're not living a divided intention. This is where inward deceit can't coexist with a sincere devotion to Christ. This is, beatitude is all about hypocrisy. Back in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus deals with hypocrisy and talking about the woes, he uses a literal thing right in front of them. He talks about cups of food. He says, you are like a cup. You put it all together on the outside so everybody thinks you're all good, but inside you're full of self-centeredness and greed and self-indulgence. And so I want to take the idea of a cup because I talked to... Where are my cups? Oh, they're back here. Okay. And I talked about this a couple years ago. And I gave everybody in the room a cup. I'm going to use this one today because this cup is like gold. If you guys know what this is, this is a Giovanni's cup. Giovanni's used to sell these when you bought a soda, and you could bring this back and not have paper soda ever again. They still honor them, but they haven't made them for like five years. So don't use still my cup or I will chase you down. All right? <laughs> So that would be a good cup to use, okay? Great, okay. So, But you have like an inside and, and you have an outside to this cup. Now, the inside is a thing that nobody sees. It's like our lusts, our greed. It's all of our destructive patterns. It's, it's our intentions and our thoughts. There's this inside and nobody around us sees them. But then there's the outside that we show to all the world around us. And it's like this. It's nice and pink and it's got this guy making a pizza on it. It says Giovanni. And it's, ooh, how nice is that? This is so wonderful. Look at this great cup that this person is. And so we have this divided self. We have this inside inside and this outside. Jesus says that's what the Pharisees are like. He says that's what we are like. We are like this divided self. We are split. We show the world an outside that doesn't line up with the inside. We say one thing and we do something else. He says that is not pure. That is not pure. And so for you, do you have an inside that's full of like secrets and lies and hurts and scars and pain and destructive messages you tell yourself all day long? All these deceitful thoughts. What's on the inside of your cup? You know, our culture and the majority of churches today, they want you to take and just clean up this outside of the cup. You know, don't look like you have any problems. You know, make sure everything's all put together. You look really, really good. You know, it's like when you, when you drive down to church on a Sunday morning 
You know, and it's like you're screaming at your spouse, ah, and you walk in the door, hey, everybody, what's up? Oh, no, we're great. We can't wait to get back in the car and go home. <laughs> inside versus outside. I mean, we're always trying to hide these things on the inside. And it never says just focus on the outside, get your life looking right, you'll be okay. Just act like you're pure in heart. And that is the spirit that Jesus attacks, the one that solely focuses on the outside. Focusing just on the outside is antithetical to living an integrated life. Jesus says you get that inside right, like this, and the outside follows, and you become a cup like that. Where it's an integrated life, you can see right through it. Who you are is just simply who you are. This is what he calls us to be. I mean, not obviously this cup, but you know what I mean. Right? It's my metaphor. So you've got to ask yourself, in what ways have you become an actor in your life? You know, dressed up the outside of your cup, lived and acted as if everything was okay. Yet inside, you're sort, you know, full of all sorts of things you don't want anybody else to know about. See, Jesus' invitation for you is to start to live an undivided life, to actually begin to deal with those things. He says you start this by cleaning the inside of your cup. So let me walk through this. Jesus used some words. Uh, hypocrite. Do you ever put on an act? Do you actually act like everything is just okay and nothing's wrong? Do you ever get tired of pretending like everything is okay? If you do, that's a spirit-led impulse. That, you know what, you're living a divided life, and you can begin to do something about that today. Jesus uses the word like greed in talking about the inside and outside of the cup. Do you ever feel pulled to an insatiable desire for more, 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 and then you get that thing, you really wanted that more, and you're just not satisfied? That is something you can begin to deal with today. Jesus talks about self-indulgence, lack of control. Do you have a desire or a craving that is pulling you out of control? That is something you can begin to deal with today. You don't have to have it all figured out. That's the beauty of purity of heart. What do we do? We begin with honesty. We say, this is a struggle. This is tearing me apart. I mean, if Jesus confronts the religious people of his day, we must not think, oh, yeah, that's for those evil religious people. We are evil religious people, too. We are the same type of people. So you've got to get honest. And what you start with is you confess. You know what confess means in its roots? You simply agree with God. God already knows. You just agree with that. You say, God, I know you know everything that's messed up in my heart and in my life, and I'm letting you know that I know, too. Have mercy on me. I recognize my condition. And then you repent. You know what repent means in its roots? It means to return. To return to who God calls us to be. We confess that's wrong. We repent. God, I'm returning to you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is announcement. It is invitation. It is good news that there are not the right religious hoops that you have to jump through, the right stores to shop at, the right clothes to wear, the right music to listen to, the right food to eat, where God says, oh, man, you're dressed to the hilt, and you ate the right food, and, man, you get to see me. You're pure in heart. I'm impressed. That's not what it is. It's not religious hoops that you jump through. It is announcement. But it's also an invitation to examine our hearts in reality. And this is what Jesus says to do. I mean, this every week at Element, we do communion. And sometimes people ask, why do you do communion every week? It's about examination. We look at our heart before who God is. You take these elements that represent Jesus because he alone can examine our hearts. 1 Corinthians one twenty four reminds us that Jesus was the wisdom of God in human flesh. Matthew 13.54, Mark 6.2 reminds us Jesus taught wisdom from God the Father. Matthew 5.8, John 5.42, Acts one twenty four reminds us that Jesus alone knows the folly that is in our hearts. 
And the beauty of the scriptures is that God knows our hearts. He is concerned about the condition of our hearts. He has inclined his heart towards us in our great need. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God says, And I will give them one heart. That is a single and undivided heart. And a new spirit I will put within them. Matthew 13, 15, Jesus says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. So if you have something in your life that you've got to deal with it, where your inside is different than your outside, where it's anger, pain, hopelessness, jealousy, rage, greed, self-indulgence, idolatry, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it is, you lay it at God's feet and you begin to deal with it. And when you take communion, it's representative of Jesus' blood that was spilled to heal us on the inside. His body was broken to heal our brokenness. And we walk away from this idea of communion with a commitment to be an integrated person who is actually whole, inside and outside, who is actually clean, who returns to God. See, communion is not meant to be a bummer. Oh, God, I'm so awful. It's a time to reflect, a homecoming of sorts that says, God, thank you that no matter how far I run off those rails, you take me back. You take me back. Communion is not focusing on ourselves. God, I'm not strong. It's focusing on God, saying, God, you are strong, and I will trust in your strength. Communion is not, God, what do I need to do to make you like me? It's, God, thank you that I am loved and accepted like I am and you call me to something so much more. Community is God. Thank you that I am a new creation. Now show me how to live the way that you call me to live. This is the day that peace has been made between us and our maker because of Christ. We throw our divided life away and we become whole. Jesus invites us to do this interior journey that starts in our hearts and moves out to the rest of our lives. This is what the Beatitudes are all about. Jesus taking us on this journey. You understand it. Poor in spirit. Mourning meek, hungering and thirsting, merciful. And you get to this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, because he wants you to see him. He wants you to live with him. He wants you to understand what a divided life does and how it kills the people that he made us to be. He wants all that stuff to begin to get separated and go away so your inside and your outsides are the same. That's how we begin to live as the children of God. People who live in the kingdom of God don't have a divided life. Now, sometimes we do. We trip and we fall and we mess up. But that doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge it. We just try and hide it. We actually deal with it and walk through it because we are honest enough to deal with those things. And again, this is why we go to communion every single week. You break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because he has forgiven our sins. He has come to make us whole so we can be the people he calls us to be. Set aside all the stuff that you try and hide on the inside. Lay it at his feet. Begin to deal with it. Become the person he calls you to be. One who inside and outside are the same. Pure. Integrated. Whole, children of God that worship and love him. The band's going to come up. And as they do, I want you guys to take communion. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you're in a place where you have been living a divided life, and maybe you don't even know how to begin to start to deal with that, they'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe talk, talk you through some things. Because sometimes it's really hard. Because if you start to begin to deal with all the stuff that's deep down inside your heart, a lot of people think no one's actually going to like me, no one's going to talk to me, they're all going to think I'm just a crazy person. And you are. And so am I. But that's the beauty of Jesus. I mean, Jesus takes <clears throat> and he loves us. 
And he calls us home and remakes us and renews us. He is simply amazing because it's not about us. It is about him and his goodness and his grace. Uh, there's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give so much because God has given so much to us. Uh, last week after third service, I had this guy come up, and he goes, he goes, why don't you guys, you guys didn't pass a plate. You didn't do an offering. And I go, hello, did you tune out at the end of the message? There's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back. To which Jonathan, one of our elders, said, well, if you have a whole plate of money, we'll take that too. You know? <laughs> there's offering boxes in the sidewall in the back. Again, we give because God has given so much to us, so we simply give to him. And I, there, I think there's still some food and stuff in the back. Uh, we do that so you grab something to eat. Oh, what, what, one of the greatest things we'd love for you to do this week, other than if you don't know Christ coming to love and surrender your life to him, is that you would meet some other people, and you would start talking to them and maybe start dealing with these issues. You know, like, like how have you lived an inside that's different than the outside? You know, and begin to talk through those things, because only by living in community with each other will we begin to live the lives that Jesus calls us to. Because we'll have people around us who can call us on our stuff and help us to understand, hey, you know, you're trying to dress up the outside of your cup. It's like, because it needs a lot of dressing. <laughs> you know, and, and people can call us on that. And you actually get together in these communities and start to love Jesus in community. I mean, God saves us personally, but he places us into his family, which means we're stuck with each other. As much as you're like, I don't like that person. Eternity, baby. Eternity with that person. Nice. It's like driving a car when you just forgot the directions and your spouse is like, la, 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 la. eternity. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Our God is good. Our God is good. And we need to live as a people who are these integrated wholes because it's who Jesus calls us to be. And I think once we live that way, I think it will inspire the world around us that, you know what, there's a people without pretense. There's a people who have purity to heart because they see who God is and who he calls them to be. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who understand purity of heart, the single-mindedness of that, and we begin to throw away the divided self that we so often live within. Because the divided self, quite honestly, is something that we are naturally drawn to. We want to hide who we really are because I think we don't really trust you to be as good as you really are. So today, teach us to truly begin to trust you that you would take our hearts and our souls and our lives and have us see what we need to see. Have us begin to trust you. Have us encourage those around us to live integrated lives as well. Have us come alongside one another. And in all things, lift you up that the world be able to see a people who can actually live without pretense because we don't live in our own strength. We live in your strength and your grace and your mercy. Teach us to be a people fully reflecting you with our lives because you have come to save us. We ask these things in your son's great and good name.